some of you don't know is that when Aaron prays for you, he gives you a little neck massage. It's very soothing. So uh, ask him to pray for you. It's a great experience. Okay. We are in Romans chapter 8 today. We've been uh, looking last week at uh, part of Romans chapter 7 and on into chapter 8. And we're going to be looking just at one verse today. So if you are uh, challenged when, you know, you kind of go all over the Bible and we're looking at a zillion different verses, don't worry about it. Focus just on this one. And uh, this is what we're going to be talking about. It's Romans 8.13. Coming, obviously, in a larger context that I'll talk about in a second. But it says here, if you, live, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And you are probably saying to yourself, this is going to be a quick message, isn't it? One verse, I've already got the main ideas, I've already got kind of the main thought and the, the battle that's going on here, so we're going to be really quick and we're going to get out of here real fast. Not so fast. Last week, what we talked about were kind of uh, building up to this were three kind of ideas. One was the most honest problem. And if you remember from last week, that was Romans chapter 7. The idea behind it is, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I think this is one of those things that subjectively, like uh, in your own experience, every one of us understands that question. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? I plan for different things. I hope for different things. I kind of start in a different direction and then... You know, it kind of all falls to pieces or something. And you think, why do I do the things I don't want to do? That led into God's verdict or God's judgment on our life, which is surprising. And if you think, why do I do the things I don't want to do? God would say, well, you're stupid. That's why. And so I'm going to call you stupid and I'm going to claim that you're stupid. No, he doesn't do that at all. He says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the first thing he does to you is set you free. So we don't come to God with any kind of sense of we can do better this time, God. We just come to him, you know, why do I do the things I don't want to do? I can't do any better by myself. And he says, don't sweat it. You're free. I'm going to free you up. And he frees us up to uh, allow us to live now free for him. And that was the last thing, the most unexpected solution. Because of what Jesus did, he died for our sins so that we might be set free to live for him. And all of that leads into today. Romans eight thirteen. if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So I want to get at three points. And if you're the type, the fill in the blank type, let me see if I can find my little handy dandy thing. Mine looks like this, but you've got a little thing in your insert here. And there's three letters that we're going to be looking at. One word begins with the letter A. One begins with the word letter I and one with M. And the whole thing spells out aim. This is to focus our attention on something that I think is easy to miss. The first letter, I bet you already know what it is because it's been up there already, hasn't it? What's the first one? It's awake. Uh, it's what my daughter says when she wakes up from her nap. And I hear it in the little monitor. Kara, awake. <laughs> awake is what we need to do to begin with. Before we get anywhere else in this journey of this verse and trying to understand how to apply it to our lives, we need to awaken. We need to wake up. And the question here is, do I care about sin? Now, sin is something that we've all heard about. It's something that we've heard said good about and said poorly about. We've uh, probably come to conclusions a million different ways on this in our life. We've had people hold things against us and call us sinners. I remember at one point, I've been cornered on the beach by this guy that was, he was the type that liked to point a lot when he talked, which is not a good way to uh, talk to people about Jesus. But he was doing that. And he was saying, you know, you're a sinner and you're lacking, you know, and he's pointing, he's wagging his finger a lot. And I'm thinking, 
uh, just back off. I'm just here at the beach. I'm just here for a good time at the beach. You know, back off. And he was trying to get me to do something that he couldn't get me to do. He was trying to get me to wake up to this whole idea of what sin is and why we need to care about sin. But before you can ever care about sin, you have to address it yourself. Do I care? And I suppose if you don't care, the next, you know, 25 minutes or so are just going to be deadly to you. You're just going to hate the next 25 minutes because you don't care. You don't care about what I'm about to say because I am going to talk about a three-letter word that most of us don't like to talk about, sin. And it starts with, are we careful or careless about sin? And we're careful or careless about sin based on, I think, one idea. What is our response to God? When God comes into our life and he begins to do something to our life, or maybe we come to a low moment in our life and we start reaching up to God, you know, do we care? What's our response to God first? Do I say, you know, God, I don't know what's going on. I need more help. Show me more of the way. Or do we in that moment kind of say, well, I don't know if I really care if God exists, if God is going to do something in my life, if I need to respond to him. Because if you don't know how you're responding to God, you definitely aren't going to address the problem of sin in your life. We address this issue in our life because of who God is and our relationship to him. So first of all, we need to awake. And we will only care about sin based on our uh, careful approach to God or our careless approach to God. So start off there, you know. But anything else I talk about, this isn't something you're going to just kind of do better this week. Just, just get that out of your mind. Don't try to do better this week. Address this issue between you and God. Do you care about God? Do you care about the things of God? Do you want to live a life that God wants you to live? Start there. Sin, uh, first we have to awaken to it. But then there's kind of three aspects of sin that I want to challenge you by. And if you came to that question, do I care about sin? You're kind of like, I don't know. I'm going to try to convince you with these three uh, kind of phrases or whatever uh, to consider what sin is and its potential in your life. If God has potential in your life, so does sin have potential in your life. The first of these is that sin abides. What do I mean that sin abides? Sin is not one of these things that you can ignore or pretend doesn't exist. You might have done that very well, and I've done that at different points in my life, and think, you know what, that isn't real, you know? Whatever that thing is and that guilt feeling I have, that's not real. I just need to change my thinking on this. It doesn't exist. Not true. Sin abides. Sin exists. Sin is real. And it can't be ignored away. First John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's the way God looks at it. He says, if you come to the conclusion, well, sin's not a big deal, or I don't care about sin, or it's not really something that goes on in my life. I'm too old to sin. I'm too wise to sin. I'm too good a person to sin, or something like that. Uh, come to a new conclusion. If you say you have no sin, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's true in your life. The next uh, phrase or idea is that sin attacks. It doesn't just abide like, you know, the cockroaches abide in the corners of our kitchen, and they do. Guess who is the hunter and the gatherer and the killer of them? I'm him. Uh, They're gathered there. They kind of don't really bother us, and we kind of don't really bother them. If I see them, I deal with it, but otherwise I don't, you know, nothing's going on there. But sin is more aggressive than that. It's not a cockroach that's willing to stay in the water heater area until dark. They're out and, and active, and they're busy, and they're in your face, and they're aggressive. Sin attacks. It's continually working to find its way out and to find its, uh, its way of expression. Sin is not one of those things, therefore, that can be easily managed. You can do it for a time. You can say, I'm going to do better this time. Or I'm going to kind of cover this and hide this up. But eventually, it comes out. 
Eventually, it's shown, and you might be able to hide it for your whole life, and you know it, and it shows in other areas of your life. Uh, I had about 1992 with malaria. I'd gone for a year overseas to Africa, and I came back with malaria in my system, but I didn't know anything about it. And so I'd been back for maybe about 10 days or so, and I started getting sick, and I had a fever. I thought, oh, I probably have malaria. And I went to talk to a doctor there, and he said, no, nobody gets malaria in the United States. It can't be malaria. Take some aspirin and don't worry about it. And so, okay, well, I took some aspirin. 102-degree fever, maybe about four or five days. No big deal. Got over it. Kind of went on with life. And I thought, well, you know, that issue, that sickness, whatever, managed, right? I go on for about a month, and it comes back, this time a little bit stronger, maybe 104-degree fever for about six days. And I think, okay, this is not good. I go to the doctor. You know what, doctor? I don't know why, but I think I've got malaria. I was over in this place. Everybody had malaria over there. I stopped taking the prophylaxis, and so I should be. Uh, I should be okay, but maybe there was a gap in there. Maybe I brought it back with me in my bag. I don't know what happened, but uh, I, I don't, it feels wrong. And it's like, nobody gets malaria in the States. It can't be that. So take some ibuprofen. Here, have some Motrin if it gets bad enough. And, uh, you know, he was giving me 800 milligrams of Motrin. That pill was like, I couldn't swallow it. It was just barely going down my throat. And so on and on it goes, right? Uh, it goes away eventually after six days or something. I'm like, oh, thank goodness that's gone. Well, that's dealt with. I managed that. The third time it came back, and this time it was bizarre. You know, first maybe, I don't know, five days, 105, 106 degree fever. I'm in the bathtub, shaking, you know, freezing, shivering, and uh, it's not looking good. The second five days, another, you know, 102, 103 degree fever. I'm going to the doctor the whole time. I'm sick as a dog. Going to the doctor like, I think I got malaria. You know, and he's like, nobody gets malaria in the States. I'm like, please take my blood, check it out. And he said, okay, and they, you know, figured it out. At the end of the 10 days, as my fever was finally breaking, they're like, oh, you've got malaria. I said, thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, it was not one of those things that you could just kind of manage away. You know, I'm going to deal with the fever and pretend that malaria is dealt with. Sin is that way. It will continue to look for an opportunity to kind of poke its way out. Uh, just as kind of a weird uh, side note, the last time I had malaria, that, you know, that long fever time, it got so bad for a while that I was kind of hallucinating. And as part of my hallucination, I was doing rap music in my head. It was really cool. And uh, my best friend at the time, he's like, he's like, did you write anything down? I'm like, no, but it was good stuff. <laughs> Sin is not the kind of thing that you can manage. You can't manage your way out of it. You can't say, I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to address it this way or I'm going to deal with it this way. Sin is not that way. It attacks and constantly attacks. David, King David, who knew well uh, how hard sin could attack, said this in Psalm 38. He said, because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. Talking about the wrath of God against sin. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. And all day long, I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain and there's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Now talk to him about, well, David, you just got to manage your sin a little bit better. He's talking, all these things are like, uh, uh, it's a spiritual reality that he's getting these kind of, it's almost like he's getting hot flashes because he knows how bad it's going on inside him spiritually. And he's like, I just am so, I can't walk. I, you know, I'm dried out. I've got a dry mouth, like cotton mouth, like nobody can believe. I, and my back is killing me because I'm just on, be, on my bed all the time and I'm crying out to God and I don't know what's going on and I just feel a wretch. It's because sin does not just kind of lay down and go pleasantly into your life. He doesn't just, uh, you know, this uh, sin presence doesn't just kind of hide out in a corner of your life. It constantly looks for a way to express itself and really bring you down. 
It darkens the soul and it weakens the soul. And in every way, it looks for ways to express itself. But sin doesn't just abide and attack. If that was the way it, it goes, I think we could mount a decent defense and kind of put up with it for a time. But sin, for lack of a better term, accelerates. I try to do what John does here. He goes, you know, uses the A's. One more back. There you go. He uses the A's, right? You know, like tries to use the same letter over and over again. Impressive? Thank you. I'm going to have to tell John I tried. Sin accelerates. And what I mean by that is sin wants to find you out to its lowest, worst, darkest, deepest hole. It doesn't just want you to do it once and kind of say, oh, I did it once. Whoops, I feel better now. It wants to continue to drive you down. And the number of examples I could tell you of this could take up the next three hours. Uh, Some of you know that I have a a little bit of a background working in recovery ministry. And for the last 10 years or so, worked at a church that um, that was kind of our main focus. And I learned an awful lot of things about it, an awful lot of things. And one of the things I uh, came to realize is if somebody uh, has one little slip, it's a very dangerous time because one little slip very quickly can lead to the second step and the third step and the fourth step. And so, you know, what my uh, parents used to tell me when I was in, you know, a teenager or whatever growing up and saying, you know what, hey, don't drink because drinking leads to worse things. And I drank. And I started smoking pot. And my mom and whoever else would say, you know what? You shouldn't do drugs because they lead to worse things. I'm like, I'm never going to use hallucinogenic mushrooms or something until I did. And then I'm like, okay, well, it's never going to go to me being strung out on heroin. And I'm grateful it didn't because at some point uh, God got a hold of me. And it just kind of, well, it was kind of a process of things. Really what got a hold of me was track and field. I started running. I'm like, I can't be smoking and running. I'll never make it to the Olympics that way. You don't see any potheads winning the Olympics. So um, that started the process, and God finished the process and took away the the interest and the desire. But uh, a friend of mine used to say that sin likes to make a pig of itself. Uh, We love to get chocolate from Trader Joe's because we're cheapskates and it's good chocolate. So the chocolate's there. And we, um, <clears throat> the way I do it when I get it, I, I break it all up into the individual squares so that I don't make a pig of myself. I just get one square at a time. And I go in there and I get one square out and I think, wow, that was good. And I go back in there and I say, well, maybe a second square. Just a second square. That's just two squares. No big deal. Second square. I can finish a row, maybe a couple rows. And I'm like, dude, I am like overdosed on chocolate right now. I just need to back off. But since that way, it likes to accelerate. It likes to continue to uh, feed itself. And you have to feed itself more and more and more to get kind of the same satisfaction. It's very similar to a drug use kind of idea. Sin likes to make a pig of itself in your life. And sin is one of those things that needs to be stopped when it's first seen. And that's what this whole idea in, in Romans 8.13 is getting to. When you see it happening, do something about it. But don't first do something about it. Trust in the God that can do everything for you. So sin accelerates. And the example I want to give you of this is the bazooka bowls. You guys ever been to Wild Rivers before? Ta-da, the bazooka bowls. And uh, if you've ever ridden this ride, you know a couple things. One thing that you know is that uh, you're going to tear your back up going down this thing because the seams in it are just deadly. Uh, but uh, it's also one of these rides that it's, you know, it shoots you down this long kind of flume into this bowl. And you start whipping around the bowl. And when you first come out, you're like, whoa! You know, you're flying around and you're kind of up at the top. There's not a lot of water. You're ripping your back up. But you're... And then you're kind of slower and slower, and you're slower and slower, and you're going lower and lower. And eventually, you're going to see that little hole down the bottom. That drops into a pool of water. Eventually, you're just going to flop down in that thing and go, 
you know, down in that pool. You, you never can do it really cool like a dive. You always just go, you know, flopping over. But that's the way sin is. It shoots you off this top exhilarating kind of journey at the beginning and whips you around and you're thinking, oh man, I just wish this ride would just keep going. But it keeps going down and down and down and down and eventually you're in the deep waters. And you didn't expect to get there. You didn't think you'd get there and you got there. And that can happen to anybody at any time. Think about how quickly a look can turn into lust and lust can turn into an addiction and an addiction to turn into an adultery or something like that. And I can think of a thousand examples that are just the same. You know, a minor little bit of greed. You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to give anybody anything that I have. It's mine. And it kind of continues to expand and grow until it becomes all-encompassing in your life. So I've told you about sin. Sin attacks, sin, uh, sin abides, sin attacks, and sin accelerates. It brings you to ruin. It looks to bring you to ruin. And I wish to, if I could, awaken you to the reality of and the need to address sin in life. But I can't stop there because... It's too early. I still got a little time left. So I want to talk to you about the more hopeful aspect of uh, addressing sin in your life. The second thing uh, to say here is, begins with letter I, it's inspired. And by inspired, I want to ask, um, what do you want to do with life? Do you want life? Do I want life? And you might think that is way too broad a question to start thinking about this morning. Do I want life? What do you mean, do I want life? Well, you really have to come to an understanding of what is life. Is life just getting up, going to work, coming home, eating, having a couple hours to watch TV and going to sleep again? For some of you, that is life, and that's a part of life, no doubt. But is that what life is all about? Is that the substance and the fullness of life that God has prepared for you? And the rest of Romans chapter 8 is all about life. It's about the life that you get in Christ. And I have a number of these things. I didn't put them up here, uh, but they are uh, part of your insert here, and they're part of the small group questions. There are way too many of them to go over them one by one. But let me address just a few of them. These all are found after this great uh, kind of attack and addressing of sin in your life. So if Romans 8.13 says, If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And it starts off with that. And you're saying, well, like, okay, live, live what? Live what kind of life? Without sin, what kind of life is that? That sounds like a boring life. Do I get to go to parties? Do I get to, you know, do the things I used to do? Do I, do I get to tell the jokes that I used to like to tell and get a lot of laughs? Can I still live the way that I used to live? What do you mean life? And then the rest of the chapter, I think, kind of fills that in. It's like, um, you know, it's like a, a page that is yet to be colored. It's just lines. And you get to see what the beautiful uh, life is that God's prepared for you. And so just to look at a couple of these, one of them I, I talked about last week, adoption. We've received a spirit of adoption in Christ. And when you become a Christian, God says uh, you're no longer just a mere creation, something that has been uh, you know, formed in the world or something like that. Now I call you my son or my daughter. You're my child. And has all the privileges associated with that, including we get to call God the almighty, most holy God, daddy. <laughs> you know, I get to go before my daddy in heaven, which sounds almost embarrassing to say. I told you that last week, and it does. But we get to come with that kind of familiarity to God. That's kind of a trip, but it goes on. We have an assurance. Verse 16 talks about an insurance, which is that inner testimony that the spirit says to my spirit, 
that I'm a child of God. So you don't have to walk around and kind of go, well, I don't know, am I or am I not? Am I doing what God's asked me to do? Am I not doing what God asked me to do? Am I his child or am I not his child? Do I have heaven to look forward to or not? And he gives us that inner testimony inside us, that spirit inside us that says, you're my child. And it cries out almost spontaneously, daddy to God in heaven. We have an inheritance with him, verse 17. Uh, Big one, we have strength and suffering. Now, some of you, uh, you don't like the, the suffering word, right? I mean, who likes the suffering word? What kind of masochists are we, you know? We don't like that word. We don't like to go through suffering. I like a life of ease. I like long couches that I can recline on, you know? Uh, but that's not the way it is in life. And life isn't that way almost, I wonder, by design. People are constantly getting sick. People are constantly being hospitalized. Loved ones are constantly dying, Um, if not in my family, in one of your families. And so, you know, as we get together, there's some degree of mourning that each of us go through because we hear, ah, so-and-so lost their, you know, grandpa, their dad, their mom, their child. And all this suffering's going on. And the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. And what's he saying about that is, what he is saying is that uh, the suffering for now is a small thing. And the life that God has for us is the big thing. And he continues to go on. You can read the rest of those if you like. Uh, they're good things to hold on to. And they're good things to remember. But if you haven't dealt with that first question first, if you're not awakened to sin and you're awakened to wanting to live for God, then the rest of these are going to mean less. You're going to say things like, you know, I want to deal with the suffering in my life. I don't really want to suffer. But uh, you don't come to God just because you don't want to suffer. You come to God because you need God. Not because you don't want to suffer, because you don't want to be broke, or because you don't want to, whatever, you know, be hated by people or something. Because, you know, coming to God doesn't solve all those problems, really. People might still think you're a fool or or silly or stupid. And you'll have to deal with that uh, a different way with God. The last thing I want to say begins with the letter M, mortify. And I talked last week that this is kind of the general theme that I tried to begin last week and I want to finish today, conclude with today. The mortification of sin or the putting to death of sin in our lives. And the question here is, can I shatter sin's hold on my life? Again, like I said before, if you haven't come to grips with the first question, you know, do I care about sin, then this question is going to seem uh, pointless. If you haven't been inspired to live a real life in God, then this question is going to seem kind of out of place. But uh, now, if you've done both of those things and you've been good students or whatever, now you can engage this with all of who you are, putting sin to death in your life. And the first thing you absolutely need to know about putting sin to death in your life is you can't do it. How do you like that for an encouraging, whew, I go out there and get them. No, Uh, you can't do it yourself. You can't do it by work first. You can't do it yourself without God. So my first point here is it's not by work. Or if you prefer Zechariah, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The reason for this, there's many different reasons for this, but maybe just to look at a few of them. Uh, We will not succeed just trying to do better this time. And for some of you that have uh, struggled with habitual sins in your life, And I don't need to start, like, naming names because if you struggle with it, you know what I'm talking about. 
you struggle with, you know, that area of your life, and you, and you continue to say to yourself on God, this time I'm going to do better. I just, I will. I've drawn my line in the sand, and I'm going to do better this time. And you do better for today and tomorrow and this week, and halfway through next week, and oops, you know, and you fall back into it again. You're like, oh, beat yourself up. You know, you wish you had a whip. You could whip your back on, you know, ah, I hate myself. Okay, now I'm going to do better. How good does that work, you know? You end up just beating yourself to death and you come really at the end more frustrated about this area of your life than you were at the beginning. And some people I've known are, get so frustrated in that process, they just, they just literally they just give up. They're like, you know, I want to be with God. I want to be part of what God wants to be doing in my life, you know, but I can't, I can't deal with this area of my life. I hate having to go back to there and back to there and back to there and feeling like I can never get any better. So uh, we don't succeed just trying to do better. And my example here is the skanky goat. Do you know what a skanky goat is? That is a skanky goat. See that little thing on my chin? That was a goatee, but it was so nasty that when I went to school, they called it the skanky goat. Now, never mind the cool 80s glasses because those are hot, you know. But the skanky goat's there, and I was going through seminary, and my first year there, I didn't know anybody there, and I'm still just kind of wrestling within myself, and I'm like, I just don't want to care what people think about me. I don't know if you guys ever get to that place in your life, just frustrated. You're like, I hate that I care that people think, you know, this about me or that about me. I'm just like, I don't want to care about that anymore. So I said, I know the solution. I'm going to grow facial hair until it is just the nastiest, ugliest thing. And I knew it was going to be this way. I tried to grow a mustache before. That's not a pretty mustache. And I thought, if the goatee looks anything like this, it's just going to be horrendous. And it turned out just like I expected, perfect. A skanky goat. And so I had the skanky goat. And I did it as this kind of like line in the sand that I drew with God. And I said, God, I am not going to care. From this point forward, I'm not going to care what people think about me at all. And I'm going to throw the skanky goat until it goes down to my kneecaps if I have to, to get over this issue. And it worked for a while. Uh, its death was sure, though, when I met this uh, friend of mine in the cafeteria. It happened to be a uh, girl. And, and she said, you know what? I think you'd look a lot better with that off. And it started to plant a seed in my head. And I thought, you know what? I should shave this off. I would look better. So what happened? I drew my line in the sand. I said, no more. I'm going to draw. That took me a while to grow that thing. I don't grow hair fast. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I did all this thing. And I did this for God. And I'm going to do this for God. And then what happened? I went back on it because I did it in my strength. How far did I get? Well, I, most of the way through a semester until some pretty girl said, you'd look better without it. And off it came. Which, incidentally, is one of the reasons I don't have a mustache or goatee now, because I'm married. And I care what my wife thinks. Uh, there's a number of other things I could say about this. When we try to do better ourselves, one of the things that happens is the, uh, the means become the end. So what do you do when you're trying to do better? You're like, oh, I'm going to spend, I'm going to read the Bible. You know, I'm going to do better. I'm going to read the Bible. Or I'm going to pray today. Or I'm going to go to church today. And you substitute for the end. The end is God wants you uh, clean and holy and, and righteous before him. And we substitute these things for the end. And so someone comes up to you and says, how's it going in your life? And you're like, well, you know what? I, I read my Bible today. I prayed yesterday. And I went to church on Sunday. Things are going pretty good. When those things don't mean that things are going pretty good. They're just things. They're means towards the end. Are you growing closer to God? Are you, are you developing a relationship with God? Those things are to get you there. And if you say, well, I prayed today. That's a good thing. That's a good start. But it's a means to that end. And when we uh, try to do it ourselves, the means, prayer, for instance, becomes the end. I prayed today. Aren't I a good Christian? 
The other thing is that the work tends to focus on, when I'm doing the work and trying to deal with sin in my life, the work tends to focus on the natural, not the spiritual. Or in uh, the context of Romans 8.13, the flesh, not the spirit. What I mean by that is I'm, I'm fighting flesh against flesh. So if you have a trouble with your mouth, like you like to gossip a lot and it hurts people, or you like to say things that are biting and like sarcastic, but like over the line sarcastic, and you're like, I just got to stop doing that. I'm going to grit my teeth and I know I'm not going to talk that way anymore, you know? Uh, and you try to do it. You're fighting flesh against flesh. You're fighting, fighting the, a natural problem with a natural solution, and it doesn't work. When somebody has beaten down your door in the middle of the night, and you look out your window and you look down, and there are people in blue, dressed in blue with badges, you don't call 911. The cops are at your door. They're coming to get you. You jump out your window and run away. or so, I don't know what you do, but uh, you don't call 911 because they're there. And as silly as that sounds... Almost every one of us, that's the way we fight the issue. We're like, I'm struggling with this area of my life or, you know, lying or maybe lust or, or you know, some kind of addiction or, or gambling or something like that, you know, greed. You're, you're dealing with this area in your life and you're like, I'm going to fight it head on and I'm just going to come against it and it's not working. And you know it's not working and you keep hitting it the same way and it's still not working. It's because you're hitting flesh against flesh. You're hitting the natural against the natural when the solution is, Giving it up to God, letting the Holy Spirit begin the work that you come alongside and, and help him complete. So what do we do? If that's our situation and I'm trying to do it by my own efforts, what do you do? What most of us just hate to do is to let go. To, you know, to let go of control. I was down at this, uh, uh, I don't even know what they call it anymore. It was like an arcade, kind of boomers. What do you call one of those places? Anyway, so I was down there. They have a rock wall, right? Not very tall not even probably two stories tall. So I'm climbing up that thing, and I'm scared to death because I know if I let go of the wall, I'm going to fall. You know, I'm scared of heights. So I'm not, I'm not doing too well here, and I'm kind of going up. I realize they're not going to let me down until I touch the top. So I'm, I'm you know, gently kind of going up this thing, you know, real close to the side of the wall, waiting until I get to the top. And at the top, you know what they tell you to do? Let go. <laughs> you, that's how you're going to come down. No, no. And so myself and this other uh, lady that we're doing, another friend of ours, uh, we're like, we didn't want to let go. And so you know what happens when you don't let go? You beat yourself up on the way down because you're hitting every one of those things that you grabbed on. You're like, oh, 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 oh. you know, it's, they're dropping you down. Uh, it's not a pretty sight. You need to let go. You need to let the Spirit of God do the work. And so the last little piece that I want to talk to you about is the trust and obedience part. We need to trust and obey God first. Let him do the work. And then what he invites us to do is participate with him. Now, him doing the work doesn't mean that we do the work, really. It, we just kind of, we, we kind of come alongside. We part, partner with him, maybe. But he, he's like, he's the frontier. He's leading the way. He's showing how to get through it. It's a work of the Spirit. Putting sin to death in our life, mortifying sin. If you're going to live that life that God has invited you to live, that we read about in Romans 8, that was kind of invited in Romans 8, 13, if that's all that's going to happen, it's a work of the Spirit. How does the Spirit begin the work that we can't do? Conviction is one of them. One of the great roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of the guilt of sin. And I'm going to get at uh, how we respond to that, but that is an awesome thing. That implanted inside us is, uh, it's almost like a, a godly voice. And I'm not into that kind of angel on this side, you know, little uh, devil on this side and do 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 but it is, it is a little bit like that. 
there is uh, something that's kind of brought into your conscience, conscience that says, ah, it's not a good idea. You know what? I've had, you know, five beers and I'm about to drive my car home. That's not a good idea. And even though you're like, you know, not doing so good, you're like, you know what? I still know that's not a good idea. In totally a million other ways in your life, that comes to play, doesn't it? And the Holy Spirit can kind of like just bring that thing and say, you know what? I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be with these people. I shouldn't be at this party. I shouldn't be walking down the street. Uh, I shouldn't be driving in this neighborhood. I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. I shouldn't be speaking like I'm speaking. Uh, I shouldn't go into the boss's office and tell him what I think about him. I shouldn't be doing these things. Uh, And it's that little thing that's kind of inside your head and heart. And oftentimes, this is the Holy Spirit that's telling you, don't do it. The Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. No, don't do that thing. It's a dangerous thing. And then after we've done it, we're like, oh, you're right. Why did I do that? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit too. He gets you coming and he gets you going. So that you might realize this thing is a dangerous area of your life and will, if left unattended, bring you to total ruin. So he brings spiritual conviction. He also brings understanding. The Holy Spirit uh, was told about in, in John chapter 14 that he would bring us into all truth. And part of how he does that is he brings to mind the teachings of Christ. And, and some of the things that we need to know about Christ that will get us through, that will help us to understand that it's uh, not by might uh, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, in this area of sin, is that we need to know Jesus Christ is our relief. I can talk about sin all day long, and when I do, it can't be about you doing better this week in the area of sin. It just can't be. It has to be about us yielding up to God and him doing better in our lives. Finally, we've yielded it up to him. But Christ is our relief. So if I'm talking all this thing about sin, realize that the focus isn't even sin. Dealing with sin is kind of a means to the end of enjoying Christ as our relief. He's our peace. And we can look at this a billion different ways. There's a zillion sermons here, but Jesus Christ is tender. A couple weeks ago when John was here, he talked out of Hebrews chapter 4 about we've got this high priest, Jesus Christ, and he's not unfamiliar with what we go through. He knows everything about what we go through because he became man and dwelt in this world and he was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. Now, that is a tender person to go to. You can go to God and go, God, you're all perfect. You never do anything wrong. And here I come, a lousy, worthless sinner again. I'm so sorry. You you should just, you know, chew me up and spit me out. Never have anything to do with me again. And he doesn't do that because we go through Christ. And Christ says, dude, I know what you're going through. Whew! I walked, the, I walked that area that you walked before, and that is tough. I walked through some tough neighborhoods, and now I should, you know. I know what you're going through. He knows. He knows all about our temptations. He even knows our struggles. He was right there in humanity, and he knows. He's tender. He's faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9 talks about this, and it's you know, played out a, a number of different places in Scripture. But he loves us, and he's faithful to that love. He doesn't just say, you know what, I'll be by your side, and then the minute the tough kind of stuff starts going in our lives, we turn around and we're like, hey, what happened to Jesus? You know, in that sense, I mean, he's an invisible presence, so don't, you know, I'm not walking around and going like, hey, buddy, how you doing? You know, uh, but he's there. He's present. He's alive. He's in, he's in my life. And he's that presence there that's a faithful presence. I, I've been in plenty of situations where there haven't been people at my side. But Jesus has been there. And the Apostle Paul said that in 2 Timothy, right at the end of his life, he's like, I'm going before the justice. I'm going before uh, the judge. I'm going before uh, these people that can condemn me to death. And when I was there the first time, nobody stood up on my behalf and said, I know that man, he's a good man. Nobody stood up for Paul. 
This is the guy that laid down his life for, you know, hundreds, thousands of people, and nobody stood up for him at his first defense. And he said, but the Lord was with me. And the Lord is with you if you trust in him. If you've given your life to him and he's begun that new life in you, he's with you. And he's faithful to that. Jesus is also powerful in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And then he commands us, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is powerful. All authority has been given to him. When he walked the earth, people were amazed because he'd say something to the wind and the waves. And they'd go, yep, right away, sir. Whatever you say, sir. You know, uh, wind, uh, slow down. I'd like you to be 10 knots, not 50 knots. Thank you. Uh, waves, I'd like uh, one-foot breakers, not three-foot breakers. Thank you. You know, he could just do it. He could say, water, you know, I know normally I'd fall into you, but I want you to be hard like rock, and I want to walk across you today. Thank you, water. You know, and I don't know how he did that. Maybe he was like, you know, the ice man. He could go, you know, breathe, walk along. I don't know. He could do anything, but, um, but he's that way. He's powerful, and so when we come to him and we're like, help me out. Are you going to help me out with sin in my life? Realize you come to... Uh, Jesus Christ, who is tender, he's faithful, and he's powerful. He can do all those things, and the Holy Spirit's saying, this is the area to work on, this is the guy to go to, and he's going to help you out, and he's right there in your camp. And then the Holy Spirit does something that's amazing to me. You know, I, I said that whole thing about you don't attack the flesh with flesh, you don't attack the natural with the natural, you don't call 911 when the cops are at your door. What he does, what the Holy Spirit does, is he begins to unseat that flesh in us, the sin in us, with the fruit of the Spirit. And I really, I'd rather not get into this too much because I'd, I'd go way too long, but Galatians 5, 16 through 24, read both lists. And you can kind of see there, one is kind of unseated. There's a, a sin there and it would tear you down and it would lay you out and leave you dead. And he puts in its place this other sin that is, it's almost like not even its opposite. It's like, but it, it is the thing that will deal with it. It's the thing that will address it. It will unseat it. It will remove it, uh, at least temporary and usually permanently, uh, from your life. He unseats the works of the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit. Well, the, the last couple things I could say is we do participate with the Holy Spirit in this. So don't get the idea that you get to go home today and going to go, well, thank goodness. The pastor told me it's all about God, so I don't have to do a thing. Thank goodness. I didn't have to take notes. I didn't have to do anything. All I'm going to say is, God, you do it this week. <laughs> I'm going to be tempted. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be overwhelmed. Uh, you're in charge. Uh, finish the work. And next Sunday, I'll tell the pastor, you did a good job, God. Uh, that's not where I'm getting at because we participate with the Holy Spirit. So I, I'm just going to rattle these off. I, I'm out of time, but let me rattle these off. We need to consider, or we can participate with God by considering the dangerous symptoms of sin. By symptoms, I mean sin is the problem, but it expresses itself in different ways in your life. The things that hurt people the people that are uh, being destroyed by the actions and the decisions you've been making. Uh, We can participate with the Holy Spirit by maintaining and growing in our sensitivity to the sin in our life, which is guilt. Now, uh, the way I grew up, I hated guilt. Uh, My dad was a great dad in many ways, but one of his maybe slight flaws was he was good with guilt trips. And he could do it very kind of uh, softly. Like, you know, anybody else hearing it would just say, that's a good man right there, giving good advice to his son. And maybe it was just the way I read into it, but I'd always read this little, like, this little piece on it that was guilt, and I hated it. And I still hate it today. If I go up and visit my dad and stepmom, and I hear something that says, you ought to be doing this, and I just like, mm. and I just wait for my moment to kind of say, well, thank you very much for your advice, but no thank you. 
You know, I'm an adult now. I'm 40 years old, and I decided that I will uh, make my own decisions. Thank you very much. I'll take it under advisement or whatever, you know. Uh, you learn how to kind of say those things. But, uh, but with God, when God brings that conviction to us, maybe we try to get out of it too quickly. Maybe we try to say, ah, I want to just get, I want to be done with it. I don't want to feel what I feel. And one of the things that I learned from this uh, gentleman that I read his book here, John Owens, The Mortification of Sin, a great book. I'm reading it, and, uh, and one of the things that he said is, you can deal with sin in your life and participate with the Holy Spirit by uh, letting that guilt kind of sink in a little bit before you deal with it. And I don't mean like continue to sin, but uh, feel it deeply. Kind of go, ah, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing it. Instead of just trying to like solve it right away, feel it for a little while. Go, ah, I feel wretched. I feel horrible. And then say, God, thank you that you set me free. Uh, another way we, that we participate is we can watch out for occasions, being in the right place at the right time instead of the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, we can react strongly when you first see a sin pop up. Instead of just kind of going, well, I did it. I might as well just grovel in it and do worse and worse and worse. The first time that thing comes out, you know, that thing comes out of your lips. Uh, th- this is one of those things like a rash word. Uh, a rash word can come out of my lips, and I just got Like right when it happens, you got to humble yourself. i got to humble myself and say, Ah, I'm so stupid. And go straight to your wife and say, honey, I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> Usually that's my context. But it might, you might have, you know, it might be your husband that you do it to or maybe your friends or something. But just immediately deal with it. You know, don't just let the sin kind of go worse and worse and worse, but deal with it and, and react strongly to it. Uh, another way is that we participate is we can uh, meditate uh, by contemplating on God's perfection in this area. Consider God's holiness. We just sang a bunch about God's holiness. Do we reflect on that throughout the week and think, God is without sin? God is without sin. I am with sin. How do these two come together? God doesn't like sin. He hates sin. I like it probably too much for my own good, and I'm trying to deal with it. How do these two come together? And to reflect on these two things, meditate on these two things. I'm not talking like, Oh, you know, roll your eyes back and kind of say some chant or something. But I, I reflect on this. Consider the holiness of God. Uh, open up the scriptures, First Peter 1, that will talk about the holiness of God, and we need to be holy too. Consider it. Focus on it. Sing songs about it. And, and really meditate and let it get deep into your life, both the uh, holiness of God and the sinfulness of your own life. And you've come before God that is a God of grace and mercy. Let that uh, play its part. And then lastly, don't establish peace prematurely. And I said this a little bit with the guilt, but uh, don't just try to fix it. Now, guys, I'm talking mainly to you. (laughs) Don't just try to solve the problem. Boom, right? Uh, Okay, maybe not all guys would do that. I do that all the time. The first thing that comes to my mind when somebody comes to me and says, I'm really struggling with this, I think, well, if you do these five things, it'll improve itself immediately. You know, that's, uh, you know, solve the problem. Uh, Don't do that too quickly in this area. When you're uh, awakened to sin in your life and you're inspired to live this life that God's called you to live, when you're mortifying the sin and you're letting the Holy Spirit convict you, don't just rush to peace and go, oh, God, I don't want to do it. No, 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 no. You know, let yourself kind of sit in it for a little while and realize it's a dangerous aspect, its extent. One of the things that John uh, has told me a number of different times when I uh, meet with him for coffee or something, he says, you know, follow it through to its conclusion. Don't just seek peace immediately like, oh, I, you know, I shouldn't do it. Follow it through to its conclusion. What happens if you do this, and what will happen then? And he said one of the things that keeps him um, uh, kind of scared, uh, scared faithful in marriage, is he follows through any of those things that could turn into adultery. You know, like, 
Okay, so I, uh, you know, I look at that woman. Oh, and then I go over and talk to her. And then he follows it all the way to the end. He's like, and then I go home after committing adultery, and I, you know, have to confess it to my wife and kids, and I'm embarrassed, and my kids are ashamed. My whole church is, you know, up in arms, and maybe the church is all freaked out about it all, as they well should be. You know, follow it through to its conclusion, and then you won't take the first step. You know, consider the whole thing. Consider it. Don't establish peace prematurely. So these three things I want you to focus on, and, and I don't know how you're going to deal with this this week. I really don't. Let Christ be your goal, your hope, your relationship that strengthens this. But awaken to the reality of sin. If you haven't awakened, awaken today. And then God lays before you life. In fact, he said to Joshua, I lay before you life and death. Choose now whom you will serve. And Joshua got it right. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Be inspired about the life that God has laid out before you. And if you need to understand that more, go for Romans 8, the rest of it that I laid out there for you. And then after you've awakened and and you're inspired to live the life that God's laid before you, begin to put to death those things that are death. Now, I haven't spent a lot of time in verse 13, but it says if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. That's not a threat, okay? And it's not entirely physical. It's not like, okay, if I sin today, I'm going to fall down dead today and get struck by a bolt of lightning. But it, it is, it's a deep death and it's a long-term eternal death. But if by the Spirit I'm putting to death the deeds of the body, I will live. That's the promise given to you. We are in love. We are in love.